Let me go back here. There we go. And from the time it could walk, it would follow me anywhere if I only called it. Right? So this becomes like a little dog. Mary would later write in the 1880s, many decades after the incident, and yes, right, the lamb would indeed follow her wherever she went, and it did have a fleece as white as snow. And so one of her classmates apparently wrote the poem. And then the rest of the article actually talks about how, how there's some issues with a lot of these things, how they get written or who wrote them. Um, but she brings this little lamb back from the brink of death where the, mother, it's, you know, the lamb's mother decided, dude, you're, you're not going to make it. Yeah, so I just decided to leave it in the corner of the pen and just see whatever happened. But somebody came along, Mary came along and, and brought it back, right? So all of a sudden, this, this lamb is extremely attached to the Savior, right? To her save, to its Savior, this little nine-year-old girl. And she follows it, right? the, the lamb follows her wherever she went, including school. Right? That's, that's the rest of the nursery rhyme. She went to school. And the, part of the story, I think we get to in a few minutes, but you know, part of it was that her brothers also helped her, helped the lamb go with her to pushed over a stone wall and everything else to take it to school. So we see this happens, and so you kind of see where I'm going. This isn't like very hard to figure out. But have you ever followed anywhere in your, anybody in your life like that? Like somebody did something for you and you just had to repay them? You know, probably not. Sometimes in some cultures you see, like the Asian cultures, it seems like where they have the, if you save somebody's life, they have like the, like I owe you a life debt. Right, so I have to follow you around. They'd be like, I think, uh, was it Shanghai Noon with Jackie Chan? That, that's kind of what the premise of the movie is. The guy saves his life and he has to follow him around and saving his life and protecting him. But would you follow anybody, anywhere, no matter what? You know, we're people, we're not lambs, so we can leave whenever, whatever we want, but we, we should want to do this. And so Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. He's the good shepherd we're going to read here in a few minutes. And so we should be like this lamb that followed Mary everywhere. Because Jesus saves us. Right? He saved us, so we should want to be like this little lamb, just hang on every word and go wherever he's going, no matter what. Right? Like I said, this isn't, this isn't complicated. This isn't difficult to, to figure out. It's, it's good to be blunt and, and, and very basic sometimes. But sometimes we forget this because we have life. We want to do things with our own life. We're like, yeah, Jesus is going over there. That's a big mountain. Eh, I'll wait for you to come back. Right? I don't want to go over there. It's dark and stormy. I don't have an umbrella. Right? I didn't drive today. I don't have my, 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 my rain boots on. Whatever it is. Right? We make excuses for following Jesus because it's not convenient at that time. But this lamb's like, I'm just going. I don't care. She, he's the one that, she's the one that fed me, clothed, fed me, took, took care of me, whatever. I'm going with her. So let's go ahead and read John. We're going to read John chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, because that's the main part of the whole story for this whole chapter, even, even the second chunk. But we'll go ahead and read this, and we'll get into it. So Jesus is talking to the people. He says in verse 1, Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Verse 6, Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand, so the crowd didn't understand this parable that he was telling them. 
Verse 7, Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me, came before me, are thieves and robbers. But the sheep didn't listen to them. He says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come only so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. Verse 13, this happens because he has a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Alright, so first five verses he is explaining. He gives the parable the last, you know, seven through thirteen there, roughly, he is explaining the parable in some, some sort of layman's terms, basically there. And then he goes on to kind of repeat and reiterate some things. So here's the main idea, though, that is the great shepherd leads us into a new life with him. And we must pay attention in order to stay close with him. Right? The great shepherd leads us into this new life that we have. He doesn't just say, hey, come on over, then just kind of leaves us to do whatever. He's telling us constantly to, to pay attention to him. And so we do that two, two ways, and that's your, the bulletins, the, the points on your bulletin, is that we have to watch where he goes, and we have to listen to what he says. Right, there's two different things. We have to watch where he goes, and then we listen to what he says. So the first thing that Jesus says here in the parable, and after he explains it, is that he's the only way in. He is the door to get in to the pasture. He's the one, he's the gatekeeper. Later in a little bit, he actually says he is the gate. Because the shepherds, if they had a sheep pen, you know, I guess the way it works is if they didn't have an actual wooden gate there, they would actually sit in the gateway and literally be the gate. And I guess some maybe cantankerous sheep would jump over you, I guess, but most of the sheep probably wouldn't, so you're there protecting people from keeping the sheep in and keeping the wolves out. And so think of it, also the other thing would be it, the towns had bigger sheep pens, so lots of people would come with their sheep, with their shepherd, their flocks, so you would get them to intermingle as different shepherds brought their sheep in, they would put them all in the same sheep pen. Right? It's sort of like a valet parking for your sheep, right? You just drop them off. They give you a ticket. So when you open your car back, you give your ticket to them. They bring your car around, right? Nobody else is supposed to get your car unless they have the ticket. So unless they steal that ticket from you, they can't get it. And so the shepherds, they could go, they could go in and out and everything else, and they could go check on their sheep. When it was time to pick them up, all the sheep knew. They say, hey, Fluffy and Lammy and, and Spot and you know, whatever their names are, Joe and Frank and Bill and Susie, they all knew their names and they knew who was saying it. And they would come respond to that voice. Hey, we have dogs. I like to think my dogs are very trained. They listen to me. I don't know. They mostly do. But I'm not really sure if I put them in a group full of, like if we had them in here in the church, I'm not sure if I called them if they would come to me versus be distracted by everybody else. I'm not sure how good their training is, right? Or how much they like me. Now, if they call, if Veronica calls them, they'll go to her. Anyway, so that's fine. But he is the gate. He's the one who lets people in. And we hear, as his people, his sheep, we hear him because he says he's the good shepherd. 
And so we know we can trust him. So when he's saying to go somewhere to do something, we know that it's time to go and do that. Or we should anyway, right? So verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. So how do people come to Christ? Because they've been called, and they respond. Right? They hear this, this calling. Right? Again, it comes back to some of the signs we, we get to say, hey, he's calling you. And so we have to read that sign and go, okay, I finally get it. You've, you've called me 25 times about my car warranty. I will finally answer. It's kind of the same thing, only this is much more important than your car warranty. This is your eternal warranty, essentially. So when he says, I'm the good shepherd, though, he's not just using that as a metaphor for saying, I'm going to take care of my people. This is another way of him saying he is God. Again, there's all these statements in here. He says, if you know what it is, he's saying he's God. And so for the Jewish audience, this phrasing about shepherds may also bring about not just Psalm 23 that we read, right? The Lord is my shepherd, but also Exodus 34 verses 1 through 5 in particular. And that says, the word of the Lord came to me, says, son of man, prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. So here we're comparing, right, shepherds, a leader of people. Prophecy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You, feed, you eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fat and animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for a lack of a shepherd, but they became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. And so, and we're going to get more of Exodus 34 in a minute, but you know, this is a woe to the people who were the leaders. This is a woe for the leaders of today just as much as anything else, because as, as an under-shepherd, I'm supposed to take care of you. I take care of you, I feed you, I give you things. You're not here to produce for me. Right? That's not how it works. <clears throat> and I should just let you out and be wild and go, go free to have the world eat you as well. The shepherd protects his sheep at all costs. He lays down his life, he gives his life to the, for the sheep to protect them. Again, he acts as the physical, literal gate, keeping the sheep in the pen and also keeping those away who wish to do harm out. And again, he reiterates this in John 10, 15. He says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down the sheep. I lay, I lay down my life for the sheep. <clears throat> and he tells his people, so going back to Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 16, he says this, for the, the Lord says this, for this is what the Lord God says, see, I myself, or this is God saying, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. Sounds like the parable of the 99 and the one sheep, right? As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day, he is among his scattered flock. So I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I'll bring them out from my peoples, gather them from the countries, bring them from their own soil. I will shepherd them onto the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the, of the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains. There they will lie down in a good grazing place. Psalm 23. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. 
That is what the good shepherd does. He takes care of his own people. He gathers them from wherever they're at, wherever the lost people are. He brings them into himself. And so in this moment, when Jesus is saying these words, he's basically saying, look, I'm fulfilling Exodus 34. Because right? again, Exodus 34, he told Ezekiel to prophesy this, to write this down and tell people this, because this is going to come true at some point. This is that point for them. This prophecy is coming true from Exodus 34. So this moment in here, this what we're reading is history. It's another fulfillment of the prophecies. The people are witnessing and living history together. And throughout history, though, people have looked and looked and looked for a Savior in some way of eternal, you know, having eternal afterlife, having utopia. But Jesus is saying that He is the only way into the eternal life, right? Not just heaven, but the eternal life and everything that means to that. Heaven is just kind of the location. But the fact that we spend eternity with God is more important, right? So that's why people like Hitler, Stalin, Jim Jones of, of the Jonestown Massacre infamy, Mao Zedong and others, even on smaller scales, they gather followings because they convince other people that they have figured it out. That my way is the best way. We can live in this society and have utopia and we can all share and get along and everything's great. But then they take their property like the thieves that Jesus is describing here. They take their lives like the murderers that they are. And so the descriptions that Jesus uses here explains other rulers and leaders, or at least would-be rulers and leaders, because all of whom those people I just mentioned would be considered, of anti, considered types of antichrist, right? Those are just like we have Moses and Abraham and other people as types of Christ. We have these other people through history, and even in the biblical history as well, that are essentially antichrists. They're doing the exact opposite of what Jesus does. They don't want to follow the shepherd. They want to follow what they want. So Roy Clements in his book, introducing it's called Introducing Jesus, said Jesus is right. It's not, the the, it's not the Christian doctrine of heaven that is a myth, but the humanist dream of utopia. Right, we see this in, in our time with different places that try to do experiments of, of having this perfect society they keep trying, they keep failing because it just we're, we're a fallen nature of people. By nature, we have a fallen nature. We're just, we're just sinful. And the only way to become unsinful is to follow Jesus Christ, to accept Him and accept His gift, and then we become perfect, and we now become holy, and we start living differently. We start living the way God intended, where you know, the, His kingdom is now here on earth, and we're trying to make that happen. And so the shepherd has come and he is gathering his flock and we go where he goes because he is out front walking in front of us and we are to obey his voice when we hear it. And so this is the second part, so the verses 22 through 41. We have to listen to what he says. And this is, this is funny because well, let's read 20, verses 22 through, through 25 or 26. John says, Then at the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Sorry, so some time has passed now between verses 21 and 22. Jesus is walking in the temple on Solomon's colonnade. The Jews were surrounding him and saying, How long are you to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Did you just not read chapter 9? Right? But Jesus says, I, didn't, I did tell you. You don't believe. Like, guys... 
Jesus answered them, The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Right? Again, he's reiterating this, this idea of hearing his voice. And so 28 gives us more hope. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So if you want assurance of your salvation, there it is. Once you're in, you're in. That's it. You're not losing it. You can't get thrown out. Nobody is snatching it out of your hand. No matter how hard the devil tries to get you, you're in. You cannot lose your salvation. I've said it before, and I think this is appropriate. You can totally forget you're saved. I agree with that. As a human being, you forget what you're saved because you, do, you don't want to listen to what he says. You want to listen to yourself, and that's where you get into hot water. And Jesus is right there to come find you again when you're off running around that hillside over there. Like, oh, there it is. There he is. I've got to go get him. Jesus will trudge across the fields, go get you and throw you up on his back and bring you back. Say, stay here. He'll be like, okay. Wait for him to leave. Go back over there because there's something over there you want. Right? We can forget that we're saved, but we're not, we're never not saved after that point. We're always still saved. Now, if you continue to do that, there are some questions. So I'm going to want to make sure we're clear that you keep sinning constantly, then there is a problem. There is a problem. And you may not be saved. So I want to be completely honest with that. And then, of course, Jesus is upsetting everybody, and so they want to stone him and kill him again because he just said, he said, why are you stoning me? Because I said these things. Like, no, we're going to kill you because you're, you're, telling, you're, you're telling us you're God. So again, we see this, but of course, he sneaks away. He doesn't he get killed. And there's other believers in verse 40. Other people are like, he's the guy. We're, we're following him. They have listened because they are of his, his sheep. Other people who don't get it, they're not the sheep. So how does God pick? Well, I don't know how he picks, but there are people who, will, who are getting it. They know his name. They hear him. Jesus knows his, our names. And that's it. So he says, Darren, come here. And I'm like, okay. And I've gone kicking and screaming. Yeah, I'm honest. But here, here's the application part for this point, right? Because So the two points of the sermon, watching where is he going and following him and then listening to what he says are kind of the bumper sticker versions of the application. Right, so if you have a question about what I should do is where's Jesus taking me and what's he saying to do, right? That's kind of the easy things to, to stick in your brain. But there's a little bit more to it than that because I don't want to oversimplify it, but I want to make sure we make it easy to, 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 to take these bites. So the first thing is though, while we're, how we're doing this, how we do this, is we need to learn how to be followers. And we have to learn how to be followers. It's part of all of this coming to church talking to people, going to Bible studies, doing these things, reading your own Bible, talking to people, living life. That's how we're learning to be followers. We don't just get hit over the head by the fairy godmother and say, oh, you're a Christian now? Blink! You know, bibbidi bobbidi boop There's your thing. You get to ride around your pumpkin carriage all day. No, it doesn't work that way. It's a process of discipleship is a process. So when Mary took care of the lamb, the lamb had to learn that he could trust Mary. For some animals, it's totally natural. For some people, it's completely natural. Mary essentially became his mother. But with other animals, other people, it takes time to regain trust because of whatever happened in their lives. We have a dog. His name's Peanut. It's Marissa's dog, actually. We've had him for like six years now, so he's about eight or nine, I think, is what we figured out last night. 
So we've had them for, let me say it again, we've had them for six years. I can finally pet him for about a minute before he freaks out and runs away. If Mason's there or Marissa's there, he's a little more calm and I can pet him for maybe two minutes. But that's stretching it. And I don't want to stress him out, but, but that's the thing. He's still learning to trust me. Now, he listens to me. He comes downstairs and just does certain things. But there's certain things I can't really get that because I can't pick him up. There's no way I can pick him up. The other two dogs, I can pick him or whatever. The same goes for people. Some of us just jump in line. Like I said, we're just, we get it. We're just, boom, there we are. Other people, it takes time for us to follow. Jesus comes easy. For others, not so much. So we have to learn that we can trust the good shepherd. He's not there to harm us. So whatever he asks us to do, wherever he's going, he's cleared the way for us along the way. He's cleared the path out. Now there might be bumps and things like that because he needs us to go over that, but he, it's okay. The second thing we need to do, the second part of the application is we, we start to go where Jesus leads. Right? So everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. So the whole story is that Mary was going to school with her brothers and the lamb started following them. Lamb's like, hey, wait, where are you going? And yes, she was following them. Of course, like I said, they, they were like, ah, oh, this is fun. Let's see if the lamb will actually go all the way to school. So of course, they helped being boys. You know, they, they totally helped the lamb get over this big stone fence. And they went into this, it's called the Redstone School, which is a one-room schoolhouse. And once there, I don't know how they did it, Mary snuck the, snuck the lamb in and put it under her desk. And they covered her with a blanket. All right, so here is she is she's sitting at the desk with the lamb underneath her somehow. And Mary was called to the front of the class to give some kind of recitation, right? So do, do some math problems or something. The lamb popped out of its hiding place. And much to Mary's chagrin, the story says, to the, into the merriment of her classmates came loping up the aisle after her. It had to be so close to Mary that it had to go be with her, even though maybe she was going to help her with the multiplication problems. I don't know. Of course, the lamb, after everybody probably settled down, they had to boot the lamb out of the classroom. But the lamb stayed outside until lunchtime when Mary could go out and take the lamb home and then come back. That's how connected the lamb was to Mary. It wanted to be by her side every single moment. And that is how we should be with Jesus. Every single moment we should be with, want to be with him. If we don't know where he is, we should kind of panic. A little, not a bad way, but just like, wait, where's Jesus? And we should also become, say, okay, Jesus must have left me here for a reason, by myself, I'm okay. I'll do what I need to do here, and he'll come back for me. Right? There's, there's kind of two sides of that coin there. But where is he leading us? So, so here's the thing. So in John's Gospel, he gives us six signs. So we just kind of read them, and the last one is, is what we just saw last week about giving sight to the blind. Right? These are the signs that to help illustrate that the Messiah, the Good Shepherd, was here. The prophecies were being fulfilled. But then there are no more signs until Jesus is, dies on the cross and is resurrected. Because those signs are the road markers, and so we have to kind of wait for Jesus. And so N.T. Wright says this on purpose. He says this is on purpose. John wrote all these things down on purpose the way he did to get us to understand. He says the signs are what I want you to hold in mind. And so all these signs point us, they say, he says, the, they lead the eye up to the cross. So as we're looking for Jesus, where is he? He's on the cross. 
That's where he's going here in John's Gospel. He's going to the cross to die for us. His whole point is to give his life for his sheep. And he gives it willingly. He says, I am the one who has the authority to give my life. And I have the authority to take it back up again. In the end of this chapter. He's the one who's doing this. Nobody actually kills him. Jesus goes to the cross. This is where Jesus is going. He lays down his life again for the sheep. Because this is where he's leading us. So each of us come to the cross in our journey. That is where our lives lead us. And that is the most important place to follow Jesus. And so this is not about doing God's will in your life, in your job, in your church, or here in your marriage, or being single, or whatever it is. This is about following God and dying to yourself. That is what being a Christian is. It's not getting a t-shirt because you remember Red Oaks Baptist Church. It's not because whatever it is. You're dying to yourself and you're putting away what you want and what you think you should have and what the world tells you you should have. And you say, I am good with whatever you give me. Because once you empty yourself, listen, once you empty yourself, then God fills you up with the talents, the jobs, the life, the locations that He has planned for you for however long that means. And so Paul tells the Philippian church, he says in, verse, in chapter 3 in Philippians, verses 7 through 11, he says, But everything that, I, that was a gain to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. So everything that Paul had, he was well off and he was a teacher and everything else and he was on the road to being probably the high priest at some point, I would guess. He threw it all away, what people, what the world would consider to follow Christ. And what happened after that? He's beat every town he goes in, basically. Uh, he's thrown in prison. You know, he fell out of a... He had to be snuck out of the town, one of the, like, I think Thessalonica... He went from being king of everything, essentially, or very, very well respected, to like being a prisoner, basically, constant prisoner. But he did it for Christ. He said, "This is I have everything else, everything I need." He said, "More than that, I also consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, though that so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteous." Righteousness by, of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Right? He's like, look, this is my goal. My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection. We are all here at the end of the last time. When we pass away from this earth, we will know the power of resurrection on the other side of that because we will be witnesses of that because we will be living there then. So everything else, anything else we have is whatever, but our goal should be to know Jesus the same way. And when we do this, when we start following Him, we start hearing Him, we start listening to Him, the third point, the third application part is that we start to sound like Jesus sounds. And so Paul tells the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children walk in love. So, when I was about 17, yeah, I was living with my dad, somebody, one of our family members called, and I answered the phone, and they just started telling me stuff. They, said, they started having a conversation 
And I said, I was like, wait, what are you talking about? And they're like, this isn't Don? That's my dad's name. He's like, this isn't Don? I'm like, no. Because they thought I sounded just like that when I answered the, my, my dad when I answered the phone. And that's how we should sound. People should, should almost have the lines blurred of who we are and who Jesus is in our lives. And that starts with what we say a lot of times. We should be imitators of God. And he says, Walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality, any impurity or greed, should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For no one recognizes this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Again, this is a process of discipleship. Right? If you are doing these things, if you are obscene and foolish talking or crude joking, they're not suitable, but rather giving thanks is and if you're immoral and impure, you're a greedy person, you're an idolater, you do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. So, I think I've said this before, there are lots of people who are in churches today that are not going to be in heaven if they pass away. They may think they are, they may think they're good to go, but they're doing all this stuff every other minute of the day. That's just the way it is. So there's people who are... And we have to be careful. Again, we're saved, we're saved, but we should not want to talk the way the world talks. Again, smash your hand with a hammer, words come out, I get it. But that shouldn't be every part of your language every day either. So what does Jesus sound like though then? Well, Paul kind of gives us a little bit, giving thanks. He talks about the things of God. He didn't worry about the politics of the day. He spoke up about what God had come to do through him for his people. That is what he talked about. He said, I'm here because God sent me. I'm here because I'm obeying God. I'm here to gather my sheep. And the Gospels carry that onward. They, they tell us about Jesus. Now the Roman society and the Israelite society, the Jewish society is in the backgrounds because that's what's going on. But our main focus is Jesus. When Paul writes his letters to the church, he says, I don't care because now we're bringing all these people in together that don't necessarily hang out together. Jews, Gentiles, merchants, sailors, prostitutes, whoever is all coming to the church to worship Jesus. That's who we're here to focus on. And you're all new creations in Christ, so it doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It matters what you're doing today. Because the authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, Peter, and Paul... They all give the overarching theme of looking toward God. Right? The Gospels point us, walk us as Jesus is going to the cross, and then Paul keeps our eyes on the cross as we are leaving that, you know, that time period, so we're on the other side, essentially. Because knowing Jesus has fulfilled prophecy and His arrival, His sacrifice, and His resurrection, His final ascension back into heaven, those are the things that we should be talking about. And how that affects our lives. So again, Paul goes on in Ephesians 5. He says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Give thanks always for everything to God and the, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So when we have the words of the Lord coming out of our mouth, backed up by our actions and those living words, we will stand out to people. We will look differently. Now I'm not talking about just talking about the Bible, all the Bible, all the time. You know, not like a talk radio thing. But we can learn to look at every situation through a biblical context. Mason hates it when I... I love the Avengers movies. I love Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien. Now, J.R.R. Tolkien is, is a Christian thing. Um, but the Avengers, there's a lot of stuff in there that is people are looking for a savior. They want to be, they want to be saved. Right? That's the whole point of a superhero. So if you watch certain things through the lens of theolo theology and through Christ... You start to see things differently. You start to see why people are drawn. And then you can use that as a jumping off point. To say, hey, you know, hey, Spider-Man, you know, he saves the neighborhood, things like that. So let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about this thing. And so you too can be hated at parties when you start talking about Jesus because of, hey, do you see the latest movie? And this is how it relates to Christ. And there are also news services that actually kind of do that for you, help you out, because everything we do should be looking at it. How does this fit to the biblical worldview? Or maybe how doesn't it? And so maybe how do we counteract that? But the world is going to do what the world wants, so we don't have to stop everything either. We just need to point people to Jesus. We don't need to necessarily, that's how we fight it. And let God fight those other battles. Because if we say things like the world, then we are just like the world, and then we are not following Jesus. And so wrapping up, our citizen, as Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. That is where we live. That is where we belong. That's what our, that's what our passports say, essentially. So Paul's words in Philippians 3, verses 8 through 9, he says, More than that, I also consider everything else to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because I have suffered the loss of all the things and consider them as done so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is faith through faith in Christ. Right? So we don't have anything. We don't get to bring anything across the border with us. We're given everything new when we get there. And really we're given stuff even before. We're given a plane ticket before we get there. That's our faith. If you want to look at it that way. We are given the plane ticket of faith to get over to heaven. To, to the, God's kingdom. And as we walk our lives on this earth, we should want to be where Jesus is, to follow the good shepherd. And we should want to sound like Jesus while we're here. Teaching about the good news. Teaching with humility. Treating people with grace and love. But also being, at times, being firm because their eternity is at stake and they may need help reading the road signs. And so Jesus' sheep know when he calls them and they respond to his voice just like much of any of us have responded already. But we have to make sure that we are not creating extra noise to make it hard for those people who are not yet crossed over yet to hear the message. Now, God's voice is louder than your voice. We want to make sure, but we can also hinder that and make this process take longer than necessary if we're not careful. So as we have people come in as we listen to as, as people come in right we need to make sure we're aware of what we're saying and it's done in love and not just everything else because they may be coming here to get away from some of the stuff in the world but if they come in here it's like well I might as well just stay at home and watch the news right that is what we need to make sure we're aware of here at church because we're here to worship God so as the band comes up right that is what we're here to do and so that is hopefully what we will do and I think so. So let's go ahead and stand.